Welcome to the Mom to Mom podcast. Our hope is that this monthly podcast will provide both encouragement and practical help as you move forward in raising the next righteous generation. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Mom to Mom podcast. Today we are going to be hearing from Gina Lanthrop, who is the daughter of Deborah Bullock, who we've gotten to hear from recently on the Destination Goals. So we're very excited to hear some perspective from her in parenting, and she's going to open us up by sharing a little bit about herself. I'm excited to be here. My husband, Thad, and I have been married for 13 years. When we were first married, we lived in Fort Worth, and we're at Hope Church, and after a few years, I moved out to California and my husband's been on staff at Church in the Valley for nine years. He's the executive pastor there. And we have four kids. Blake is 11, Jeremy's nine, Ellie is eight, and JB is four. And I, right now, I'm a coach in our Kids Own Girls team at church. And I homeschool our kids. I'm helping with some teaming up we're trying to do with that with different families right now. And stay pretty busy. So, <laughs> Thanks for sharing. as I'm sure a lot of most moms we do so well and and Gina you're a part of Church in the Valley Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a sister church to Orange Crest Community Church our church Mm -hmm. we were both of our churches launched out of Hope Church which is what the church your mom is from Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of great to see how it all connects Deborah was able to share specifically about the destination goals like how to implement them what they are just a lot of how she came up with them So we're wanting to ask today, as a mom who's in the trenches and doing this on a day-to-day basis, how you have implemented the destination goals, um, specifically sharing some examples and some experiences that you've um, been able to to basically implement into your parenting. Sure. Um, Well, I think as we talked, I said I could share about how we've worked on respecting authority and trusting and obeying God. And those two things go, I mean, they all go together well, but those two really go together since obeying is really part of respecting. You can't respect without obeying and they're connected so well. So I thought we'd, you know, talk about respect first and then kind of move on to the other one. So as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I've just seen the Bible really be true as um, we've watched people's lives over the years that respect is just vital to someone's success in life, to their happiness, if they respect authority things really that makes a big difference in things going well and for us as christians it's actually really crucial to accomplishing god's mission for us so i knew that early on in parenting my kids needed to respect me but like now looking back i think as a lot of moms who hit the stage you know you start to have like middle schoolers and stuff you can see things you just really didn't know early on that you thought you knew i knew they needed to respect me but i can look back and see ways that I didn't really understand what that looked like when I started parenting. And God has helped me learn things that have really helped as we're working on raising our kids. So early on, I gave a lot of leniency on obedience, which like things I would do would be allow slowness or sulky attitudes or the bargaining. I, over time, learned it's really just arguing. I just didn't know I was arguing with my child because I was one of the people in the argument. (laughs) So I didn't identify it. (laughs) But, you know, for example, I say, put away your shoes. And the child says, but I'm tired. And then I say, well, I didn't ask if you're tired. I told you to put away your shoes. I say, but it's so far. You know, well, you need to put away your shoes because I'm your boss. And I said, put away your shoes. Can I just finish my drawing first? You know, no, put away your shoes. Anyway, I know you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. But yes. I learned, I just didn't identify that early on. 
that part of what was happening there was a disrespect of my role as the authority in their life. Thinking about like how I grew up, there was a word called backtalk, and you knew not to do it. <laughs> but I think that category has just kind of been lost. At least for me, I've struggled to identify it, and it seems in our culture like it's just not easy to identify. And as I've thought about this, like what God has taught me and grown me in, I think parents in general, we feel a real need to provide you know, what our child wants. That's just an innate desire we have. It's good, it's from God. We're also, in our culture, pretty concerned about damaging a child's self-esteem or mental health. And in my experience, it's also really hard to figure out when a child is manipulating you with their desires and wants. Mm -hmm. And so that just creates a perfect storm of trouble um, with parents feeling obligated to do all that a child wants or for disrespecting, you know, the what the parent has said. So then um, add in that as Christians, we have these categories of kindness and and example and explain and those things by definition mean that I put my kids interests before mine and I need to make sure they understand what I'm talking about you know the boundary I'm giving it is just really hard to then figure out what the difference is between that and training them to respect authority training them to follow and obey and I don't know if other moms struggle with that but I, I really have to figure out how do I train this in my child yes okay (laughs) you are correct I had that same struggle I'm like I'm trying to be kind but now they're not really obeying me quickly what am I doing here and and then I just start to like you know be in my head trying to think through okay what what do I do here because I want to communicate that I really care about their needs Mm -hmm. but then I also need them to obey quickly yes Especially if you have like the fighter child, like yes. the fight for your rights child. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> yes. Oh, how can I can relate to that one? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Lord uses them for our good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I, I also realized like we're also training them in part of a larger context, right? The mission to build God's kingdom. And like we have chosen this mission, Dad and I, as adults. And while our kids live in our home, they will live this mission. We are with us and our hope is that we do it in a way that they want to choose it whenever they are independent and adults and um, want to join us that way anyway so yes I it's just been really hard to sort out what it looks like to choose kindness with my kids or model it and how I relate to them or make sure I'm explaining enough of what I'm doing while sorting out what I'm going to pattern off of and what patterns are just cultural they're not biblical what categories are cultural they're not biblical and so there are just categories out there with like self-esteem and stuff that really they don't they misdiagnose the problem because the problem for all of us is sin it's not controlling ourselves to do what is right and whenever we step into these other categories that ultimately diagnose a different problem then we can start pandering to the child's innate selfishness and arrogance and irresponsibility so back to my experience Early on, I knew I didn't want to pander to my kids, right? And if you think of like driving on a road, you want to stay on the road. If the road's got two ditches on each side, you're really trying to avoid the ditch. I didn't want to go into the ditch of pandering to my kids. So I kind of drove straight across the road to the other side and thought, you know, the old Southern idea of you don't mess with mama, that would work. And it turns out that was just another ditch, but that would get kids to respect you, right? So when my oldest was a toddler and would start to sass me, which they do, for moms of infants out there, it helps to nip it in the bud. I would respond with a, oh, no, you didn't. 
face. Then I would use lots of words and kind of a lengthy explanation as to why he shouldn't do what he had done. And I was afraid that if I modeled the word no, he would repeat it back to me. So my response was, oh, no, you didn't face and this long explanation for my toddler. Now, this toddler happens to be one of the strong-willed children. So I have seen God use that numerous times as he has resisted strong peer pressure. I've seen God use it for good. But as a toddler, he was ready to take me on in battle, no matter how little he was. And verbally, he was pretty competent to do so. So we would get in these struggles. After he committed his life to Christ, I saw God help him with this, but we knew we needed to work on respect. So my husband and I figured out a way to define respect that a young, concrete thinker, you know, when they're little, they, the abstract categories like respect are just hard. So some concrete ways to define it so that he could know when he was obeying and so I could know when the boundary had been crossed. Um, and that was to figure out body motions that went with respect. So I can't remember what we initially came up with, but what we use now is respect looks like your body is still, your eyes are on, a, on the authority, your mouth is closed until invited to speak, ears are listening to the authority's words, and then you obey right away. And this started really helping. So I had much more concise ways to explain to him and redirect him. I also had had a couple more kids by that point and had learned that saying the word no didn't damage them or scar them. It's actually a super helpful word when you use it right. <laughs> so it communicates a lot of things very fast. And they learn no anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, and you have to, you know, and so that, the conciseness took out a lot of stress for me. It turned out that over-explaining was just feeding the child's manipulation the disrespect cycle because they had more attention longer. It also eliminated a lot of the back talk, which was a big thing we're working on with respect. So now something we say is, now that they're older, I can say when I give an instruction, the only right responses are okay or yes, or can I ask a question to help me understand? And they know sometimes you don't get to ask a question. Sometimes you just have to obey, and I'll explain after you obey. But anything outside of those two responses is back talk and disrespectful. So the concrete examples help, the concise explanations help, but I was still giving them the, oh no, you didn't face. <laughs> and um, I was receiving that back to me, which I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. I didn't know where this was coming from, just tones in the kid's voice or looks on their face that seemed disrespectful. and. I finally read this book called Mother and Son, The Respect Effect by Emerson Egricks. So, and that dramatically helped a lot. One of the things that highlighted stuff I'd heard other places before in church life, but kind of got my attention that these children that I have are people that I need to respect as individuals and the way that I look at them, the tone of voice that I use, and the oh no you didn't attitude or don't mess with mama really wasn't respectful of them as people. They needed to respect me as an authority, which was another layer of respect and involves obeying me. But I needed, I can model respect for them as people just in the way I express myself to them. So even when I have to be firm um, in my voice and tone, I can do it with a somewhat pleasant face, not angry and mad or sassy or when I need to correct them, I can pull them aside privately and correct them quietly rather than 
the efficient way of yelling across the room so everyone can hear. So it was helpful for me in general with all my kids. It also nailed down some things. I didn't really think about applying to my boys about how God created males to need respect. And even though my boys are child males, they still need that. And so as I started applying some of the specific suggestions in the book, things immediately started turning around. I remember my son, the first time I tried to apply one of the things, my son, like just the angst inside dissipated and his Mm. face was beaming. And I was like, this is amazing. This is how God made him to be. But things like substituting the words, I love you for, I respect you, or praising his insight, like you had a really great idea there, or you worked really hard and used your muscles and strength to serve people. It just helped with getting that. So for moms with boys that I think is a really helpful book just to get a concrete idea of like how to relate to our sons with respect. That that book has been really helpful for me and I noticed that when we hit the teenage years it was starting to get a little you know rocky in the area of respect but we're out of those teenage years now and I can look back and and just smile and enjoy the time that I had with my teenage son. He is a joy and we have a very respectful relationship and i really do think it was because just showing him that respect Mm -hmm. and and then he followed better too even through those teenage years that are supposed to be the horrible you know Mm -hmm. rocky years i I don't i don't feel like i had to go through that and i really am so thankful Mm -hmm. (laughs) so one of the things i really appreciated about the book was how it it helped i'm a i'm a woman like we're women as as moms and we're when we have boys we're raising men Mm -hmm. and it gave me a perspective that i wouldn't have otherwise understood in that way um whereas like my husband obviously it comes more naturally for him it gave me some like just points of understanding that i hadn't had before and then practical ways to implement things and i noticed the same thing some some real changes in them when i was implementing those suggestions and i think it helps them understand what we're trying to communicate the love that we have for them so that whenever they're put in a situation where they have to like trust us because they don't want to do it and they have that choice of am i going to respond respectfully or not i i think that's where a lot of that comes into play it's built in this idea that yes mom is for me she treats me like she's for me and like they're getting that message which really helps I think that's what I saw that the turnaround and respect was like very quick and when I do these things when I model a respect for them as a person which is kindness and things but it's also a respect that there are boundaries in life and we respect God so you're you know not a little king we are, we're under God's authority. But um, it's a respect that they're capable people, and they're capable of earning these privileges. They're also, therefore, capable of losing privileges. Right. In addition to just what we've talked about, things that have helped me learn what I can do to train my kids in respect. It's that I need to follow those rules that we came up with for what your body looks like when you're showing respect mm-hmm. and do those to my kids. So put down things when I talk to them. I can't always, but put down my phone, put down my book, try to focus on them, keep my eyes on them when they're talking to me. If they're telling me things that they're interested in and it's while I'm driving or doing something else, like really trying to focus on what they're saying because it shows that like this is a person that is Mm. valuable, your interests are important and I'm giving you the respect that you give people by paying attention. A part of the respect is just correcting them briefly and um, quickly and 
not letting the back talk start or the arguing, like not engaging in the negotiating. <laughs> and if they push it, then what we've tried to do is move down the privilege that they've gotten. So there's a, the PAR principle, which is privilege, accountability, responsibility. That has been very helpful for us in framing respect in our home. And principle says those, those three things stay the same level and they move up together and they move down together. So if you want your privilege to go up, you've got to take on more responsibility. If you don't maintain your responsibility, your privilege level goes down. Um, which is how jobs work. It's, you know, it's how mm-hmm. God made life. At home, let's say there's like, we're, I came up with an example that didn't really happen, but it's a compilation of other things that may or may not have happened. Um, so <laughs> say we're at a park and a couple kids run up, they want a snack. I tell them, sure, go get something out of the, the lunch bag. They both run to the bag, get there at the same time, and both want to be the first one in the bag. And therefore, a fight erupts with grabbing wrists and pushing someone back and, you know, arguing about who gets the snack. In similar situations, I've said something like, you know, after we stop and take some steps back, you you know, you didn't hold up your responsibility to treat each other right as you got your snack out of the snack bag. So you've lost the privilege of getting a snack. And if a child starts to say, why, or mommy, mommy, but I, then the child hasn't treated me with respect, and I say you've lost the privilege of being with people. You weren't treating a person with respect. You've lost the privilege of being with people. And in a place like that, at a park, they just need to be removed and have to sit in a chair by themselves. So trying to match it with what's been going on. You know, if you're not relating well with people, you lose the privilege of staying. And those are not to get super bogged down in detail, but the PAR principle has helped us frame, like, these are ways you show respect. So with what you're talking about, depriving my kids of a snack or a friend time or sending them to bed early, you know, all those things where the, in the par principle, the privilege goes down <laughs> because they didn't hold up the responsibility to follow rules we had set. All those things, they don't really fit into our self-esteem culture. Putting boundaries on a child innately means they will be unhappy at points, which doesn't fit with really striving for things that are often talked about in the mental health category. But boundaries actually give a child a sense of security. And I have seen this. When the boundaries are in place, my child realizes that they're not powerful enough to make them move. And that gives the child a lot of security. They might try to bump up against the boundary like four or seven times, but eventually they learn, you know, if I am doing my job to hold the boundary, then they learn it's a real thing there and it's no longer interesting to explore yeah. and try and push it over. And they're much more contented to play inside of the, and really inside the rules mm-hmm. we've set. So some effort on the front end of ensuring that the child respects you in attitude and words and obedience just diffuses all kinds of frustration and pain later on. And in my experience, when I start to feel the frustration again, that's a signal to me like, I, I might not get it very early in the process, but eventually I realized, oh, I think I'm not being tight enough on the boundaries on the front end mm-hmm. on either showing them respect in my tone and words or holding those boundaries and not engaging in the negotiating, the back talk, all of that. And once I start tightening up on that, it just, the pressure releases. My kids are 
very respectful again. And so, and we can move forward with what God's given us without as much tug against yeah. <laughs> um, forward motion. Do you have specific responsibilities or I should say privileges that are taken away if something isn't done well or is it more of like you just try to match kind of according to what they've done yeah rebellion is it's a different category but whenever we're working with like the par principle of you're just suddenly out of frustration or you know didn't sleep very much last night and you're crankier you're not treating your you're being harsh with your siblings try to match the privilege and the responsibility and ask God to help me like see what is really at the heart of this so if it's something related to people they have to be by themselves right for an amount of time but if they're really pushing up against me there's points where it's rebellion but they also just sometimes need to be taken out of my presence like you have to go to your room and then 15 minutes of that or so I mean for where my kids are at lets them emotionally cool down and they are more clear-headed. They have more self-control. It's a thing like if you are using a toy and you cross a line that I have set for the toy. I told one of the kids was helping me put together shelves the other day. And I had said, you know, you need to use this tool this way, whatever it was. And they didn't. And I was like, well, you lost the privilege of using that tool. Bummer. Yeah. you got to put it away. Yeah. You can't help with that tool anymore. That type is that kind yeah. of what you're... Yeah, exactly. But it does, I think doing that really addresses them as capable people. Like you are capable of earning these privileges. Right. And there's a lot of respect modeled for them in that. So when they take it away, it's also just the opposite of you're capable of earning, you're capable of losing. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't need to make this about like mom's mad at you or something. Like it's just what you did and this is the consequence and we move on. Yeah, because the mom's mad at you is more about feelings and this is more about you this is the action you chose. Mm-hmm. So responsibility, it, make, it helps them take responsibility. Yes, and it helps me with the whole, you know, oh no, you didn't. Mm-hmm. I can not, I can refrain from that much more easily. <laughs> but yeah, in the category of respect too, I know most of what had come to mind was with that talk and my attitude, but I was thinking there are a couple other examples, most of it from where outside of the home, so like not relating to me, where I've seen my kids, and I've realized, oh, I think that's disrespect. (laughs) And I think I need to work on that, (laughs) because I recognize it when it's with someone else. Like when I'm in the mix, I don't recognize it as easily. But things we've worked on were, we live with the kids' grandparents, my husband's parents, and they would go up to my, I saw, it start to happen that one of my in-laws would sit down, their food was ready, they'd gotten their breakfast, it was hot, coffee in hand, and one of my kids would go up and ask them to make them some food. And I felt like, oh, that's, that's really impertinent. Um, <laughs> and what I started realizing was like, I haven't trained them to respect other people's interests or pursuits. And I got some advice and counsel on it, and they said, you, you really need to start with your kids, how they, respond to you in those situations and so I'd always tried to get up and do what the kids wanted because I needed to put their interests before mine but I had trained this kind of selfish approach in through that and so I started working on telling the kids there there are some boundaries like if someone has already started into an activity if they're in the middle of something basically we don't interrupt as mm-hmm. part of respecting people so if some just being aware look at people see what they're doing before you go and ask for help if they've just gotten food or if they are 
on a phone call or, you know, there's just some times where you don't ask for help unless it's an emergency. And that has helped, I think, everyone living in our house. (laughs) And also with respecting homes and property, that's another thing we've tried to work on. Because I think it's easy to feel like, well, we know that this stuff is all going to burn one day. So it would seem wrong to, like, make the kids really have to keep everything super nice, you know, um, and wrongly focused on material things. As parents, it can be like, we need to let the kids explore, and I, I shouldn't put too much emphasis on material things, which is right. But when we'd be out and about, I realized I would just see things happen and realize I need to work and teach them that, that property represents people's hard work. So whether it's gardening effort or painting or cleaning, all the damage we do, it really ultimately it disrespects someone else's hard work Mm -hmm. it's not about the stuff ultimately it's someone has worked hard and when we mess it up someone is going to have to work hard again (laughs) so to respect the person we take care of things so we're still all these things we're still working on like we have successes and losses and but you have a plan yes and god has really helped with these things they they have taken things that were hard and made them much more fruitful and enjoyable and I feel like when I find myself getting really overwhelmed in parenting it's usually because I've gotten away from a plan and things have gotten a little bit out of hand so Mm -hmm. like hearing you talk today I kept thinking there's some things we need to get a firm grip on again Um, and it's, it's always so helpful to hear some of those things and to reflect because it really does add a lot more I don't want to really say ease to parenting but in some ways yes there's Mm -hmm. things are more you know what to do when certain things hit and there's a plan yeah, it's, it's interesting how, the you know, in Proverbs it talks about how the complacency of fools, like just being complacent in foolishness or, or just not really giving thought, careful thought to what you're doing in parenting is something that we can just put it on cruise control, you know, and I, I hear you constantly bringing it back to, okay, what am I doing? And really keeping a pulse on what your kids are doing and then how you can address that. So that's really helpful. It sounds a lot faster when I talk about it here. In real life, it's mm-hmm. like it takes forever to get my finger on that pulse. But yes, by God's help. <laughs> but you're not letting it see. go. Yeah. You're not just letting it go and then not yes. having to like, <laughs> you have to keep a firm grip on yeah. on that. Yes. <laughs> so. um, okay, well, with this one of trusting and obey the Lord, how my kids have learned this the most and the deepest is through a more extreme circumstance in our lives. But I do want to share it because I think the principle is the same no matter what. So we've had some suffering go on in our life, but Elizabeth Elliot, I'm pretty sure it's her, defined suffering as having something you don't want or not having what you want. And with that definition, we all experience suffering all the time. <laughs> so the dishwasher breaks or a child's grumpy or the check didn't come in that we thought we're going to commit check that's like such an old word but you know money's not going how we want just at the heart of it i think there's a lot that i think relates hopefully but so i've had this i had this autoimmune disease for about 16 years that it gave me a lot of trouble as time went on it was ulcerative colitis if you're curious but in 2019 um just for like some highlights because i won't go into all the details but Um, I had to spend a week in the hospital in 2019 from it, and then I had to go back in a few days the next week. And at that time, my kids were really scared for me. 
two of my kids also had birthdays right after each hospital visit and so there's just a lot of like is you know mom gonna be okay is she gonna be able to be at my birthday you know all those cares that a child would have in God's kindness I was able to attend the parties that was it I had to pass off the rest of the responsibilities to friends and family after that the kids had a um, kids ministry open house where they showed their parents what they had worked on in class and I remember my two oldest sons got up together to speak together at it and one set of verse he had memorized about trusting God and the other shared a brief testimony about he had been scared when I was in the hospital, but he chose to trust God and God had taken care of us. Mm. And that was my first taste of seeing God use suffering and hardship to grow my kids' trust in him. Because we had actually been praying for my um, one of my sons for I don't know, a year at that point, a very specific thing, and hearing him say those words was answer to that prayer. And then a year, and actually just a couple weeks ago now, um, I went into the hospital with a severe flare of that autoimmune disease and um, I ended up staying for a month it dramatically changed our summer plans and my kids barely saw me um, when they did see me I was weak and frail I ended up needing a surgery to remove my colon and I was rushed into the ER twice for severe complications from the surgery and then took weeks at home to recover plus two more surgeries with significant recovery all in that fall semester and then we did, really didn't know what the spring would look like because the recovery from all that could, just could have been a while. So the theme for this year became the Lord willing <laughs> because so many of our plans would get changed or canceled based on how I was doing. Um, we couldn't really commit to much long-term stuff because the timing of the surgeries or just how weak I was, just all kinds of stuff. And of course, you know, you add in COVID and all this stuff, So, which all of us, I think, can relate to not being able to know <laughs> feeling much more aware of how little we know of what's coming <laughs> but and having you know disappointment of things being canceled so with all this stuff that was going on with me some of the things obviously we couldn't have protected my kids from they would have known I was in the hospital but there was quite a bit of it that we probably could have protected them from being aware of or I could have gotten really resentful of God for taking away so much from me or my kids or I could have really worried about how this would affect them. Those things, those temptations did crop up. But we, Thad and I knew that very clearly, thankfully from just God's kindness, we needed to respond right in this situation. We needed to set the pace for our kids, just not leave any room for the enemy to take us off track. So with our kids, we chose to give them the truth about what's going on Sometimes they didn't need all of the truth, but we didn't lighten it by um, promising things that God doesn't promise, like a false trust or a false hope, um, or assuring them of things that we couldn't guarantee, things like my recovery or that certain plans would happen. We also chose to just model trusting God and speak this out loud for our kids to hear and then involve them in praying for God to help. And you know, they saw me when I was really weak and, you know, we didn't know what that would do to them, but we knew they needed to, to just know what's going on in life. And we all, we did some James 1 parties with them when things got bad. So James 1 talks about rejoice when you suffer trials. So it was simple, just dessert and put up some decorations that the kids made. But it was a way to try and do that with the kids. Some things God did through that was one of our children really thrives on structure 
struggles with change and almost always wants to know the plan for the day and for the week well before I figured out the plan because we are very much opposites in that regard. So that child has had repeated disappointments. One of just several examples was actually unrelated to my health. He had his birthday party canceled due to COVID coming up twice this year, but his pattern drastically shifted within the last year and from the struggle with change and to where now he often responds to disappointment or canceled plans with saying, well, God has a better plan and it's okay. And then he really chooses to be content. He's even started encouraging his siblings to respond the same way. And he was actually the initiator of one of our James One parties this year when his second birthday party fell through, which also made our July 4th plans fall through and started drawing signs for the party. And so I've seen through him having to encounter situations where he needed to trust God that his um, response to disappointment has really shifted. So how he responds to change is not perfect, but he has this quiet, confident assurance that God is still good, Mm -hmm. and that often is what comes out. So what I hear you saying is that a lot of of the way that your kids have grown in this specific destination goal of trusting and obeying God is through experiences that you couldn't necessarily have fabricated, but you took those experiences and you allowed them to become teachable moments for your family and debriefed with them and kind of made it so that this experience that they were having to endure would now become an opportunity for them to grow. Yes, my role is I I can choose to either give in to fear and keep my kids from experiences where their faith will have an opportunity to grow, or I can lean in to trusting God myself because I'm also afraid, like, to be honest, that God's going to rip them off through this. You know, uh, that's a temptation, and I have to choose not to give in to it and rely on faith that God is who he has been my whole life and who he will continue being for eternity in the future, good and faithful. But um, I do have a choice when those hard things come up. And it's hard as moms because my kids aren't grown adults to where they can carry the weight of the world yet and they don't need to. It'd be wrong of me to put that on them. I do need to let them encounter a temptation because when they battle the temptation, they have the opportunity to win the battle. And when they win the battle, that experience is how they find the joy and the assurance that deepens their faith and their resolve that trusting God really is the best way. So when I respond in faith to God myself and model that for the kids and walk them through it, they have those opportunities to win the battles, experience the joy, and deepen their faith. Mm. Amen. Mm -hmm. I, I really have I'm very encouraged by the way that you have you talk about suffering and that you've chosen to have faith speech in front of your kids. That's what I'm hearing you say. Like you're you're just choosing to um, communicate to them like that there is something that you really have to trust God for and that they can trust God. So it's very encouraging thank you thank you so much for sharing gina yeah i really appreciate it thanks so much for joining us today we hope that you've been encouraged to move forward in your parenting journey and that you have some practical next steps you can readily apply 
Join us again next month for another Mom to Mom podcast.